you would turn in your Bibles with me, we get to do something that, according to the psalmist, lets us read something that's more precious than gold and sweeter than honey, the Word of God. Turn with me to John chapter 12, and if you haven't brought your Bibles with you, uh, the Bible in the pew in front of you, you can use that, it would be page 762. Then Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than the praise from God. Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. We're going to close this reading with a verse that's familiar to many, but John 3, 16 to 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the word of the Lord. We come to the end of the public ministry of Christ. He goes into hiding. Uh, his public offer uh, has been presented and has been rejected. And John's gospel only gives us six to seven signs of what he did. But listen to what another passage 
the theme of the book in chapter 20. It says, therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. So this is just a sampling. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now, believe is not mental assent that he existed. An atheist has to read history, and if he's fair with history, somebody showed up by the name of Jesus at this time, did these many things. It's no big deal if you believe the history about him. The idea is if you believe he is who he said he was and really trust him. But this is written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And then at the end of the book, the very last verse, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. In other words, John is saying there is all kinds of empirical, experiential, observable evidence that Jesus did what no man could do unless God was with him. Over and over. And he came to a Jewish audience that expected these signs, knew what Messiah would do when he came. So over and over and over, the evidence is presented. The remarkable thing about people who go to hell, they never go to hell because there was not enough evidence given for them not to go there. No one goes to hell because God didn't do enough. They just, God could never do enough to keep the man that wants to go to hell from going there. The evidence is right here. And so we want to look at three things in this chapter where he's closing the book on his public ministry, has gone into hiding, and then we'll pick him up in 13 through 17 in the upper room with eventually his 11 men, and then we pick up the narrative of his trial in 18, the cross in 19, resurrection in 20, and meeting Peter at the Sea of Galilee in 21. So there's three things I want us to note here. The public rejection of Christ was predicted and prophesied long ago. Christ was not surprised by his rejection. It had been prophesied, and so he was not caught off guard. God was not caught off guard that they would not believe him. As it says, in spite of all the signs, verse 37, but though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. Verse 44, he who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. I and the Father are one. To reject me is to reject God, for I am his messenger. The second thing we want to look at is the rejection of Christ is always a personal choice. It is not just arbitrary. You make the choice. God leaves it with you. 
and he'll give you what you choose. If you do not want Christ, hell was created so you would never be bothered by God again. And so God will give you what you choose. And then finally, uh, I would have us look at why it is just of God to damn those who reject him. Why is it just? And so, let's first of all notice that he says, I'm going into hiding. They won't believe my ministry. I've raised Lazarus. I'm still having the fallout. They're wanting to kill Lazarus. They've now moved in to kill me. I know that. I'm in danger just being in the vicinity of Jerusalem. And so then he has John write, this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is from Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? And probably the reference to the arm of the Lord, which is a term for his strength, his strength was manifested in the signs, manifested in the miracles. Obviously, a message of a hope has come in Messiah, a message of power, a message of divine deliverance. But who has believed it? Who wants it? He came to his own, and his own did not welcome it. They did not want it. Come on, God, you can do better than this. No, no, because I never will force a man to take me. Someone said God made hell because he wouldn't force anybody into heaven. If you don't want him, he, it would be torture to you to be stuck with God for eternity if you don't want him. So you hear that, you hear guys kidding Hey, I won't have any problem going to hell. I'll be so busy greeting all my friends. Uh, what a terrible thought. There'll be no greetings going on. For it's a place of isolation and banishment. But he does something here. What is going on is in fulfillment of what Isaiah prophesied when he goes on to say that... Uh, he said again, he has blinded their eyes, he has hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted, and I heal them. Prophecy of Isaiah 6. Isaiah sees the glory of the Lord in the temple, says, woe is unto me. God cleanses his lips. He says, Who's going to go for me, Isaiah? Isaiah said, I'll go. And then Isaiah is given this message. Go preach so that they will not see. Preach so that they will not hear. Preach so that they will not believe. Go preach judgment to the nation. Now that is an astounding assignment to be given. For me to be told, go preach Sunday morning so that everybody who hears you will be damned after they hear you. Because I'm going to close their eyes, close their ears, and make it so they can't believe to be saved. What's the text say? Did God predestine them to be lost so he just won't ever give them a chance? I read an interesting book this last week 
on biblical idolatry. Not all the book, but especially on Isaiah 6. Written by G.K. Beale, B-E-A-L-E. Biblical theology of idolatry. He puts a thesis out and he develops it from Isaiah 44, Isaiah 40, Isaiah 29, Deuteronomy 29.4. This thesis that we become like what we worship, either to our ruin or to our redemption. That you become like what you worship. And he threw out Isaiah, likens their gods. In chapter 40 and 44, he likens it, you cut the tree down with half of it, you build a fire. The other half, you carve something that cannot see you, cannot hear you, cannot feel for you, cannot deliver you. In Isaiah 46, he said, hey, when you bring out Baal and you bring out Dagon, you've created a God that has to be pulled on ox carts. They have to nail it down, steady it so it won't fall because you've got to take care of your gods. You've got to take care of your gods. You've got to feed them. You've got to pamper them. You've got to be sure they don't. And then God tells Israel, Israel, you don't have to carry me. I carry you. I'm not the God that needs to be propped up. I'm the God you better not even touch the ark because you think a dead God is inside that ark. I want to tell you I'm beyond the ark. And Uzzah, you messed with the wrong God. I'm not an idol that can't strike. I'll strike you dead. For I'm not a God in a box. I'm the God of the whole universe. I'm powerful. And so what is happening here, he's telling Israel, you have gone into idolatry. You've chosen gods that can't hear. You've chosen gods that can't see. Gods that have no heart. Gods that cannot deliver. I'm going to make you just like what you've chosen. I'm going to see to it you can't see me. I'm going to make it so you can't hear me. I'm going to make it so you can't believe in me. I'm going to give you what you chose. We get the same picture in Romans 1. Men take what can be known of God, and he says they suppress it. They stuff it. They try to keep God out. Romans 1.18 and what Romans 1 is describing is not the Bay Area in 2012. That began in the Garden of Eden when they said, we will be our own God. And God kicks them out of paradise, kicks them out of Eden. And he says, I'm going to start giving up the race, giving up the race to do everything they want to do. I'll see to it that millions will perish without ever knowing me, feeling me, seeing me, wanting me. Because they don't want me to be known. They want to suppress me. They would rather worship an idol. They'd rather offer their daughters up to gods that demand the slitting of the throat of their daughters. Jeremiah said, you offer your children to Moloch, something that never entered my mind to ask you to do for me. I'll let you destroy yourself on your choices. I'll let you become like what you worship. It's a scary thought that man is always becoming like something, and he becomes like what he adores the most.
He becomes like what he adores. You see, some people, their hell would be to be locked in a room uh, filled with nothing but pictures of themselves. That would be their hell. They're in love with self. And hell would be more pictures of me, more biography about me, more of me. And God says, I will let you have all of you you want, but without me. I think of uh, uh, two stars. I think of Marilyn Monroe. If anybody had beauty, if anybody could sell sex appeal, uh, what a uh, remarkable power she had. And yet when you read the biography, the loneliness, the being unloved, being used, uh, dying with booze, dying with loneliness, uh, dying as a really an unloved girl, but used, used by Hollywood. We want to sell your body to make men lust because it makes us money. And so she died unloved. She died uncared for. What about a Whitney? I mean, uh, uh, I'll always love you. you. I mean, don't try to sing it anymore since she recorded it. Can you imagine Willie Nelson singing that? I mean, no, 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 no. Whitney, that's her song, even though Dolly wrote it. Dolly doesn't care. She's running to the bank on it. I'll always love you. Our emotions, come on, powerful voice, and found in a bathtub with an overdose. One of the greatest voices without Bobby. Bobby wasn't there. Nobody was there. She got all she wanted, fame, left the church roots. Give me fame, give me drugs, give me men, give me Bobby. And even Bobby doesn't want you because you're destroying yourself on wanting to be loved and loved by the wrong objects. And God gives us over to what we choose instead of him. He'll give you all of what you choose over him. Is it money? He'll give you all the money you want and damn your soul. There's a man that said, I'm going to build more barns. I'm prospering, but I don't have any time for God. And Jesus says, you had time for finances, and you wouldn't pay one minute's attention to your soul. I'll give you your barns, but I'll damn your soul. God says, I know my son is going to be rejected and I'm not caught off guard. I'm giving men exactly what they want. They don't want my son. I'm going to enable them to die without him and go to hell without him. He's not caught off guard. Uh, here's something that's interesting. The rejection of Jesus Christ was an obvious choice. And he gives the illustration here of the religious rulers that he said, uh, they, many of them believed in him. And I don't believe this is saving faith because throughout John, they believed when he gave them the loaves and the fishes. They would believe at a miracle. Boy, this must be God. But then they would go back. They wouldn't follow him anymore. And so obviously you have religious rulers uh, that are seen and hearing of the miracles. This sounds like what Messiah would do. This, he's probably the one. This, he's got all the credentials. But listen to what it says. 
Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Whoa, whoa. Wait, you're not going to own Messiah because you're going to be cut out of a dead religion anyway? You're going to be cut out of a place that has sold God out? Yeah, yeah. We'll lose our uh, job as a pastor. We're pastoring a dead God synagogue. No God at the synagogue. People ask me all the time, where do Jewish people go? They go the same place Gentiles go. You don't put faith in this Messiah. God doesn't accommodate anybody. He doesn't care what your ethnicity is. You get the same choice. What think ye of Christ? Jews aren't going to heaven because they're Jews. Do you understand that? Jews are not going to heaven. And I work with Jews. I work with Jews for Jesus all the time. I love the Jewish people. But their ethnicity won't get them to heaven. And neither will you growing up in this church get you to heaven. Being born again and owning Christ. Here's the test. Here's the test. Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord in the temple. But these men, they love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Here's two glories. The glory of man's approval and the glory of God. Christ came bearing the glory of God. There's another glory, though. Human praise, human popularity, human approval. And guess what? These religious rulers said, we'd rather stay popular. We'd rather be quiet about Christ. We're not going to risk our, our necks for this guy doing all these miracles. But we think he's probably the one. But we choose to be popular to be approved, and stay where the majority is. Does anybody on your job know you're a Christian? I hear three of you. It's that old story that's been told many times about the kid that's going to work at a logging camp during the summer, and, and they're praying for him at the youth group and all like that. And After the summer, he comes back. Hey, how did it go? Did anyone persecute you? Whatever. He said, no, I made it all summer without anyone finding out I'm a Christian. <laughs> Nobody bothered me. Is that what you're trying to do? I'm amazed as a teenager how much pull, popularity, peer approval meant to me. And it was my struggle. I look back now, running with those punks. Running with those little San Pablo hoodlums. Many who went to jail. Many who got busted. They taught me how to steal. They taught me how to run the streets. Just hoping my dad wouldn't find out. And I think, I'd rather have their approval than for them to know I know Christ. That was that teenage battle. Will you go out for the God who created the universe and sent his son to save you? Or do you want to be popular with a few little hoodlums running the streets? Oh, we have it all the time. 
Oh, man, I'm going with a girl. I'm sleeping with her. Man, I, I went for Jesus. You guys don't believe in doing that stuff. No, we don't. God doesn't. If she's that good looking, why don't you start feeding her? Why don't you get a license? Well, she might get sick on me. Well, yeah, she might. They might use, she'll need dental work in time. My dad said they always looked at the horse's mouth before they bought the horse. You boys check their teeth. Yeah, yeah, if you really love them, it could cost you some money. Yeah. You don't love her. You're just using her. She quits putting out, you'll find another one. But she's so desperate for love, she'll give you credit for loving her. The only one that really loves her is Jesus. He didn't want to use her. He died for her. He wants to give her eternal life. And you too, if you'll quit using her. It's a choice who you're going to run with. Let me make a little defense since I get paid to defend God. Uh, I hear this a lot because I, I'd be known as a Calvinist, but I, I'm really pre-Calvin. I'm Paul. I'm Jesus. I just think God's sovereign. I think God's in charge. So I don't sweat elections and a lot of other stuff. He's going to have his way. He's going to have his way. I really believe that. Some of you don't. Too bad. Read your Bible. But here's what I hear a lot. People say, I hear this line, well, you know, I've got a free will. I don't buy that stuff. God tells you what to do. I'm free. I'm free. Yes, you are, honey. You really are. Yeah, you, you're so free. Yep. You know, I, I'm no... No uh, divine fiat makes me do whatever. I, I may, I'm self-governing. I'm autonomous. I choose what I want. I'm, I do. Well, I, you know what? All right. Write it to the bank, honey. You got it. Now, let me tell you something you might not have heard of. He's got free will. Got quiet, see. He's got a free will. God. And uh, he said to Pharaoh, I'll have mercy on who I want to have mercy on, and I'll have withhold mercy on who I want to because I'm free. Come on, I want to fight with you right now. Let's have it out. I'm representing him. I don't care about your little free will. Whose will is the strongest? And, and God owes everybody justice, and you will get justice. Right? You want justice, you wait till you stand before God. There ain't no lawyers can touch this God. He knows the law through it. He wrote it. And he's going to judge, and there'll be perfect righteousness, and there won't be any crooked lawyers there. The truth is the only thing that will show up in his court. No, because he knows he's got the record. He just flipping up every thought you've ever had against him, everything you've ever wanted to do, everything you ever did do. Here, I've got all the evidence. I've had my private eyes on your case ever since you were born. And we know what you've been up to. But you see, I, I promise you justice, but I don't promise you mercy. I don't have to save anybody. 
I don't care if you like that or not. That's what he says. I am sovereign. Matter of fact, Israel is my example. I don't care if you hate Jews or not. I love them. I chose them. And all you Gentiles want to drive them into the sea. I asked a Jewish friend of mine, grew up in Brooklyn, what did you think of Gentiles as you grew up? I always assumed you would kill me whenever you got a chance. He said, that's what I grew up thinking. And I'm afraid he's been right. Many would. But God, God is sovereign. And God says, uh, I can give my salvation, show my mercy to whomever I will, and I can withhold it. And now right there, we get mad and say, you can't be that way. I didn't approve that. Did I say you could do that, God? No. But, you know, I had a personality before I met you. I acted certain ways before you came on the scene. I have sovereign laws in place. And then, let me tell you, when you reject my son, I have every right to sentence you and damn you forever. And I quote to you from Jonathan Edwards' great sermon on the justice of God and the damnation of the wicked. And it goes like this. He says, um, if God were to judge you for rejecting him, it is just with God to eternally cast off and destroy sinners. For this punishment was promised in Eden. It was promised by the law. And two things bring you to judgment, your sinfulness and his sovereignty. The fault of disobeying another is greater or less as anyone is under greater or less obligations to obey him. And therefore, if there be in any being that we are under infinite obligations and honor and obey, the contrary towards him must be infinitely faulty. He was strong that said hell was eternal. And this is why. Uh, today, people are annihilationists. Hell's not forever. Edwards argued strongly for it, and so did Jesus. And it was this way, that a sin against an infinite being brings an infinite penalty. You're not just sinning against another human being. You're not just sinning against the state. You are sinning against the sovereign potentate of the universe who said, I will sentence you if you choose to rebel against me. I'll bring death. I'll bring banishment. I'll bring separation. By the way, I'm well aware no one attends to church anymore to hear this kind of preaching because it's biblical. But you know me. I could care less. If only God and I are here, that's all I got to please. Right? That's right. I'm in a dangerous vocation. Many of the prophets have already been killed. So God would be just and righteous to judge you for the following reasons. First of all, your past life, how you've lived with the light you had. You've known a lot. You may have been exposed a lot. The very fact you're in church, you're in a very small number. You've heard, heard the truth many times, but you've used your mouth, your body, your mind, your eyes, your ears to go against his law 
and to go against his will. You've coveted. You've hated your parents. You failed to honor them. Pride, stubbornness, an unforgiving spirit, judgmental. You've been sensual, immoral. You've sinned against your wife. You've sinned against your husband. You've sinned against your children. You've been unmerciful to others. He has every right to damn such people. Then the way you've treated God himself, you've never loved God. This is what he's going to say to the wicked. You've never loved me anyway. So I've created a place that you will never be bothered by my love. You've only wanted me to do things for you. You never wanted me. Uh, you've, you've always cared. For, you've tried to make me into a heavenly Santa Claus to run to your every whim and desire. You've slighted me. You've used my name in vain. You've damned many people in my name. You've striven with your maker. The clay has told the potter, you can't do so and so. You have blamed God. You've blamed him for deaths, for divorces, for pain. He's the blame boy. You, you've justified being angry at him. You, you've left this church because you got mad at somebody and you blame God. Oh, you don't love him anyway. Why would you be surprised if he judges you and damns you? And then what you've done with his son. If you knew the only refuge from fire and sulfur and hail and rocks and mountains was only one refuge, and God offered that refuge, and then you refused to go into it, you refused to run to it, he has every right to let all the judgment he has pronounced fall on you, for he has only one hiding place from his judgment, and that is the son that you have said no to, that you despise, that you don't want. Why would he not judge you? He provided the way of escape, and you've rejected his best offer. God will be just to sentence you forever to be banished. He will judge you for how you've treated others. You've lied to them. You've misused them. You've resented their blessings. You've damned them. You've tried to influence many of them for evil. You introduced them to evil. You've been careless as to your salvation, the way you've treated yourself. You're careless. You, you're not taking the call of Jesus that come to me while there is light. Come while there's light, and you can become a son of light, for it's going to get dark, dark, dark. And I must say, there is a pessimism in America today that it is getting darker. It's not the country many of us were born in. And how could it be? Evil gets worse, not better. It's getting dark. I often say as a boy growing up in Richmond, I grew up mainly with whites and blacks in Richmond in the 40s and 50s. But if you were downtown McDonald's shopping on the weekend like everybody seemed to do, pour out of the projects and shop downtown Richmond. 
it seemed no matter whether you were white or black in those days, you knew that behind that face there was probably a praying mother or a praying grandmother because you had southern roots, you had midwestern roots, you, you had roots that said somebody back there knows God. Today, they're no longer back there. Your mama's strung out on drugs, and your daddy, you don't know. And so we don't have anything to talk to. But angry young people that said, my daddy doesn't want me, and my mama's strung out. So they're just as pagan, as lost as ever. And by the way, if you don't look at me right, I'll kill you. White and black. Not locked into a color anymore. Don't mess. I'm angry. I don't like you. And I don't care if you like me. Say, son, did anyone ever tell you about the love of God? What do you mean, someone tell No, they told me where the crack dealer was. They told me where I can get meth. They told me my mama's sleeping with more men than I can count. No, there's nobody back there that believes it. That's old fogey religion. That went out with sweet potato pie. That, that, that's not around anymore. We're in a pagan area in the Bay Area. And it's getting darker in the world. There's Islamist plans to drive Israel into the sea. There's many believe Antichrist is coming out of Islam like we used to believe it's coming out of communism. There will be some religious fanatic in the last days that will rise up, make a covenant with Israel, promise them peace, and in the middle of it says, no, you must worship me. Set up his image in the mosque of Omar and demand you worship me. Take my mark of the beast or I will kill you and he will kill millions. It's coming. It's coming to a pagan world that has said, we don't want your damn Christ. Take him for somebody else. We'd rather go to hell than ever own Christ and you will go. God will not be mocked by your rejection. You are the loser. You're going to hell without Christ, and we need to unleash our mouths and quit trying to try to put uh, salve on cancer. You could put methylate and Band-Aids on cancer, but honey, you got to get a doctor that can come in and change your heart, change your disposition, and Christ alone can change America. We need to be born again. We need to turn back to God. We're not just sick. We're crazy with a fever. And the church gets colder throughout America. It's, it's political, but it's not evangelistic. It get all into politics, but it doesn't get into hang out hangers or in, inviting anybody. Because you know what? We don't want to be disliked. We want to look cool and good and let them go to hell. Don't tell me you love a man that you won't try to rescue. Don't tell me you love him. And don't tell me you love a God that would empty the throne of heaven to come down to the ghetto of this universe when we wouldn't walk across the street to tell a man Jesus loves you. He's knocking. He's knocking. I'm asking you to come before it's too late. But we've quit believing it's too late. The 120 years is running out. From 1445 B.C. to the cross to today, God has been begging Israel, come to me. About, two, about 32 A.D., he started reaching out to us Gentiles. He's been waiting for Israel over 3,500 years. Why don't you come to me? 
Why do you say I'm not good enough? Why I, I can see, I can walk, I can save. You don't have to hold me up, Israel. You need me. We don't want you. We want missiles. We want armies. And we want atheism, but we don't want the God of Abraham. And they are now a trembling cup, as Zechariah said. And the nations are ready to pounce and eliminate them. Only God's good hand keeps them alive. And America, don't quote me Thomas Jefferson and all of our founding fathers as though we've got immunity from judgment. What makes us immune? We are not immune. When sex is on every corner, when drugs are everywhere, when same-sex marriage is illegal, when that's what the Supreme Court, you mean you're wrestling with whether it's right for a man to marry a man, and we'll call it a marriage, and the culture doesn't care. Let them do whatever they want, and God is saying, that's just what I'm doing. I'm going to let you do more than you ever imagined, because the judgment of God on sin is more sin. Someone was telling me about Vallejo. Uh, they're down to so few policemen in Vallejo. A man was telling me that, uh, I, and I know my own family needed police help. Uh, I think there's two. The, the policemen are locked up in the police department with all the bars. They're more afraid to go on the streets. And guess what? They're, they're not touching prostitution. They're not uh, touching guys that are raping girls, selling girls, and venereal disease is going off the chart. It's escalating in Vallejo. It's out of sight. Guess what? You want sin? You want sex? You want irresponsibility? I'll let you die of AIDS. I'll let you die of syphilis. I'll let you die with children being born. I will give you up to do and have a party until you go to hell. Let us wake up. This is what's going on in America. It's going on in our backyard. I can't walk in Richmond where I grew up. White or black, I'm a threat to be killed. But what bothers me is some of you've heard enough to be saved, and you're still as stubborn as the religious rulers. You haven't done enough to win me. You haven't done enough to win me. And God's going to finally say, I've done enough. Now I'm going to harden you because you wouldn't accept my offer. I'll make it so you will never see it again. I remember a pathetic story told. And it was told about a preacher you don't know, W.A. Criswell, a famous preacher in Dallas. First Baptist used to be the largest church in the world, 25,000 when Criswell was there. And at his 25th anniversary, a lawyer showed up and came up to Criswell and was congratulating him on the 25 years, famous pulpit, and Criswell was famous in Dallas. And he came up to him, and he's congratulating uh, Criswell. And he said, you know what, Criswell? He said, 25 years ago, I moved to Dallas, and I was a young law student, and I used to come to First Baptist to hear you because you were such an orator and you were such a, uh, a presence. I used to try to learn from your presentation. And he said, wow, what a powerful preacher you were in those days. He said, I've got to tell you something. There were times you almost had me. But he said, you know what? 
I can hear you anytime now and you can't get to me. You, you don't reach me anymore. And I think you're a better preacher today than you were then. You've gotten better. But I've learned to turn it off. And what he was announcing is, some of you've got just enough religion to be inoculated from getting the real thing. You, you just, you know the church language, you know church lingo, but you know you're still lost. What God wants you to do is become infected. You need to get the real disease. You need to start running the temperature for God. You just got enough to say, they can't reach me anymore. Go ahead, preacher, try it. No, 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 no. Hear me, hear me. At the judgment of God, if you leave, even today, you leave next week or yesterday, and you don't want God, God says, I'll give you my word. I'll meet you at the judgment and say, I'm giving you exactly what you wanted. I've blinded your eyes. I've hardened your heart. I've shut your ears, and the hell is your home. And that's the way it will be, and I will be a just and a righteous God that no one did more to keep you from going there than me. But it's your choice because you're free will, and so you can have your choice. How are you choosing? What have you chosen? Do you know Christ? Are you willing to go another day saying, whew, he almost got to me today? If I did, you better be thankful to God that he was tugging at your heart. Because I fear for you if you weren't tugged at and you don't know him. You know, I don't know why God gave me more than one chance to be saved, but he did. There's a famous missionary motto that goes this way. Why should anyone get to hear the gospel twice when half the world has never heard it once? Why is God still talking to you? What will it take? Well, I'll say this. You will walk into eternity just from today, and this message and the words of Christ will be enough to explain why you'll never be in heaven. If you want to go to heaven, you must receive Jesus Christ. I've said it for 41 years from this pulpit. It's no secret. And I'm not mad. I am stirred inside of why you would rather go to hell than you would to come to Jesus. The stubbornness of the human heart is the most baffling thing we deal with. And we are a stubborn people. Only God can save you, not this preacher. But this may, you may have heard God today. He may have whispered to you. If you heard it, if you felt it, I want to tell you with everything in my being, I wouldn't turn it off. When he quits talking to you, it's over. It's over. Father, please don't quit talking to us. Give us an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Let the church hear you. Let us wake up. Let us realize we are in the last days. They're perilous. They're dangerous. There are times when men love themselves. They love pleasure. They love uh, stuff. 
They love money. They love a lot, thousand other things. And you just are another bidder, and they don't know if they could get involved with you. But you are the maker of heaven and earth and even hell. And you will have the final word in every man, woman, boy, and child's life. You will be the final judge. No other one. May men run to Christ before the flames of hell engulf them. There's no reversing hell. Once it's entered, there's no exit. There's no exit. Give us the boldness to talk about hell in such a day when we're living not on the edge of a physical cliff, we're living on the edge of eternity every day. And our eternal destiny is in our choice right today. Do we choose to come to Christ or do we choose to just slough it off? We have a kind of an emotional, worked-up preacher, but it's not God. Oh, let them hear you before it's too late. Before it's too late. Before it's too late. Speak. Speak, Lord. Bring them to yourself. Pray right where you are. Let's take a moment of prayer. Pray for someone you know that has never believed. Someone may be sitting with you. Bring someone back tonight. Tonight be a lot nicer than me. It'll be a wonderful program of music and celebration. But this is the message we're living with. The wait. Judgment's coming. The door to the ark is about to be closed. And men, men and women have but a few moments to make their decision. Our Father, take us with your blessing. Don't let the devil steal everything we heard in the next 20 minutes. As we talk, as we rush to our meals, rush to see another game when our eternal destiny is in the balances. Help us to flee to Christ while there's time. In Jesus' name, amen.